What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John, and with me, as always, is Daniel Terry. How are you doing on this uh, not sober evening? I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing great. You know, we we just got off of an interview with the band, but uh, we're doing this now, so you're gonna hear this first. It's a worldwide exclusive. I don't know if it's an exclusive per se, but this episode's guest is Josh Newton of Shiner. Um, I don't really know how to describe Shiner sometimes to friends. Like, you know, are they a, a progressive indie rock band that kind of teeters on space rock, as maybe Dan would like to say sometimes? I mean, I don't know. Sometimes this band's really hard for me to categorize what they are, so I guess I'll throw it to you, Dan. What What are they? I wouldn't call it space rock, but uh, it's definitely, if you're a fan of Hum, then you're a fan of Shiner. They do different things, but I would recommend listening to their albums in conjunction with each other, for sure. It's funny, because Josh is one of those people that I became very aware of uh, due to his, (laughs) basically his time in every band, not Shiner. Um, You know, obviously he was in Every Time I Die, he spent time in From On to Ashes, uh, from him teching and doing stuff with Wild Out Boy and so forth. Um, You know, with social media being what it is, it's allowed me to kind of build somewhat of a friendship with Josh, and, you know, I always feel like maybe... There are times where there's the stigma of Josh uh, being a a cantankerous old man, (laughs) sometimes self-described. But there's something that, you know, when when you kind of get to know him a little bit better, that he is is very amusing and that, uh, you know, it just is someone that I enjoy talking to on this podcast, you know, like a lot of things. And I don't I don't know if it's because of me uh, or, you know, just kind of some of the history I have with some of these people that come on the show or having with some of these people since the last time they came on. But, you know, it's always fun having Josh on the show. And I definitely think, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a different vibe uh, than a lot of the other interviews I hear with him. And and I don't really know how to attribute that to. Well, I think that's us in general, though. I mean, you know, a lot of the interviews we do, a lot of, you know, something that that has been kind of a common theme is people are like, wow, you guys aren't really like approaching it like a lot of media outlets do. And I think that's that's kind of the strength of, of what we do here is we're kind of here to have fun and have a good conversation. And it doesn't necessarily have to be about what's being promoted or what the, the big thing is that we're supposed to care about. Um, I mean, in this case, it was a new Shiner record, and it's awesome, and I've listened to it, and it's great. And you should definitely check it out. But, um, you know, I, I, I like kind of the more intangibles uh, that come from an interview like this. And, you know, uh, he was very open, and uh, he was, he was, it was kind of revealing about what their process was. Because, like, I had no idea that, like, there was a period of the time where the band kind of didn't like each other. And they maybe not maybe not hated each other, but definitely were not getting along. And that there being a lot of personal drama that went on earlier in the band and what i like about listening to music in the 2020s now is that like these bands are dropping records that are awesome they sound like the band in their heydays but you're you're getting the band in a more uh realistic or less uh less angsty form and so these guys are just doing what they're doing because they love it instead of you know just trying to maintain some sort of status quo you know it's funny i feel like a band of shiner's legacy caliber uh use either one of those words you would like to um but i feel like a a a problem or a pitfall that a lot of the bands that have been around for 20 plus years that you know maybe sometimes go away for a little bit on a hiatus and come back i feel like they're so aware of their legacy that they kind of just tend to rest on it i mean that's something we talk about quite a bit on this show is bands just resting on their laurels and knowing that that's going to satiate fans for the live setting where they're going to go buy tickets they're going to go do all these things and it doesn't matter they know it doesn't matter if they don't appease fans and they they put out a subpar record because they know the fans are going to be there because of the legacy they built. And it was really refreshing to hear Josh actually say in this that basically he was very cognizant, that he and the guys were very cognizant of the fact that, you know, what if we fuck up the legacy we've left behind for ourselves? You know, it's been 20 years since we put out a fucking record. Can we match what we've done in the past? I don't really know that I've heard anyone ever say that in an interview. Like, not not openly, not in the midst of all of it, like maybe well after the fact, like, you know, when we were writing this record, we were kind of worried about like how it would be received. I mean, you know, Dennis from Refuse kind of made a comment that was just like to the effect of like, yeah, we knew it didn't really matter what the fuck record we put out because people are going to compare it to Shape to Punk Comes. So it actually was pretty freeing to know that probably people aren't going to like this. So I, I, I don't know. Um, I thought that was really interesting. 
as well as the fact that seeing bands like Hope Spall and Shiner and Hum, like you mentioned before, basically all kind of coming back and, and showing a lot of younger bands who maybe hadn't heard of them, you know, how they can start being influenced by a band that's been around for 20 plus years. Whether you're into metal or rock, it, it doesn't matter. There's something here in all three of those bands for everybody. And I think that's so inspiring to see and know that music can do that and that it can inspire a new generation of people because it rock touches on so many different things. Yeah, and it's weird because like I'm not super into rock music, or at least I didn't think I was. And then Hum and Shiner just show up and start dropping these records, and I'm like, oh, wait. Actually, I do like rock music. It doesn't always have to be super brutally heavy. Although I would argue that both bands are heavy in their own right. It's just not in the what you would consider the traditional sense. And speaking of being not brutal, I'm going to go ahead and not keep wasting your time. This is a longer chat with Josh, uh, so we're going to get into it right now. My conversation with Josh Newton of Shriner. We'll talk to you on the backside. So we had the pleasure of talking to Josh Newton, guitarist of Shiner, whose latest record, Shed, I'm going to probably mispronounce this, Schadenfreude? Freud? Uh, Schadenfreude. Okay. Is out now. And, uh, you know, I'm going to give you a little bit of shit. You are the only person I know who has named the same record twice for two different bands that you're a part of. <laughs> You know, I'll, maybe if I do another Z-Lieben record, I'll do that one, too. Oh, man. You would, uh, I, I would call Guinness Book of World Records at that point for that. <laughs> um, it's funny, because Alan was like, hey, what do you think of this? And I was like, I laughed, and he's like, what? And I was like, that's what we called the With Knives EP. And he's like, ah, shit. And I was like, but I don't care. <laughs> and then I hit up Joe, and I was like, hey, will you be bummed? And he was like, yeah, because I own that word. Do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> It was just funny when uh, the record came out and I started listening to it. I was like looking at the album artwork, you know, just kind of taking everything in. And then I was like, wait a minute. I was like, I swear Josh already named a record of his this. And then I went to my CD yep. collection. I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> no, but that's funny. It uh, So I guess something, you know, being one of the few people I know that has used the same title for, for two different records. What is it about the word that you think... Uh, helps kind of put a title to a body of work that you've put out? Um, I mean, well, I can't really claim this one because, uh, right. <laughs> you know, like I said, Alan, Alan was like, how about this? Um, but I don't know. I mean, the, the lyrics are all pretty dark and, uh, shit. I don't know. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, and it was, you know, obviously it was before all the, all the, uh, coronavirus stuff started happening and i mean it was happening but it wasn't really happening happening right um and i don't know i mean it just seems like with social media there certainly is a pretty serious effect of you know like people love to see people also do love to see the the comeback story but they also love to see someone's downfall or someone having a tough time and you know there's a lot there's tons of you know social media videos of people out there right now who like clearly aren't having their best day and uh <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it just seems appropriate right now, unfortunately. It was I don't know. It it is kind of interesting sometimes, you know, when it comes to titling records, even if it's whether it be a self-title because it's now taking on like the band's name or even if there is a song that happens to have the title track on it. You know, it's kind of interesting, you know, we as fans will kind of sometimes maybe look too much into into these things and maybe think that there's a, more of a meaning than there really is other than be like, that was a cool word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i think that can that could definitely happen i'm so guilty of it that's why like when i kind of was like i wonder if there was kind of more to it or if it's something you know josh feels very uh drawn to uh, as far as you know kind of your outward view on things and then i was like i'm probably reading way too much into this <laughs> well i mean in initially I was you know, when I just heard it, when he suggested it, and I was like, Haha, "Yeah, that'd be funny." And then I was like, "Oh wait, you're serious? No, we already did that." Um, it just made me laugh, and it made me want to do it that much more, just because I haven't really heard of anyone doing that, right? That I recall, you know. So, 
anything to be obtuse. <laughs> kind of leading up to this, you know, I was realizing that it's been almost three years since you were on initially, and at the time, you guys were just kind of really doing, you know, re-releasing some of the back catalog on vinyl for the various uh, anniversaries and so forth, and, mm-hmm. you know, there really wasn't a whole lot of thought yet, uh, at least that, that you were saying, as to whether Shiner was going to kind of get back together and, and put out new material. So yeah. when was when exactly did the band kind of collectively decide to give it a go as far as writing new material goes? Well, we had kind of, we were concerned about the legacy act thing of wearing out your welcome, you mm. know? Um, and I, I started to get to that point, like maybe even before we re-released Lula, I guess. I was like, fuck, how long are we going to keep doing this without like, it just felt like we needed some fuel in the tank to, to have it be worth anything beyond like, just trying to push these records that we'd be released. And it's, and it, I mean, there was a reason because it's fucking fun to go play these songs and it's, it's fun to hang out with your friends. And, Cause you know, we all have other careers and bands and all that stuff. So anytime we had to do this was always fun. Um, but it, like I said, it kind of felt like we were nearing the end of it being, of there really being a reason to do it without new music. With almost two decades having now passed since the egg and the way that that album and, I guess to a lesser degree, the band kind of achieving a cult-like status. Was there really any f- worry or fear of not being able to put out something that would live up to the previous material, whether it be from yourselves yes. or to the fans? Absolutely. Um, there was a big worry of that, and I think that impeded us from doing anything for a bit um, until we felt like the material kind of made sense without us aping what we had done in any way. Cause we definitely went back to like old demos and things like that of songs that we didn't really finish or nobody loved hundred percent and uh, checked things out. And that was a good way to get going, but it quickly, we quickly realized that that was not the way to actually do it. Mm. Um, okay. It was a good way for Alan and I to get email ideas going back and forth. And this was like ideas from before Starless even came out. So this is ideas from before like 98 or 99 Um, stuff from before I was even in the band. So it wasn't really even thought of as like a two guitar player band. So there was like that way where they could have changed. But then, so we started writing a new stuff and see, it made sense to me because it didn't feel like we were trying to do what we'd done before. It just kind of sounded like us if we had kept going to me in a weird way. But there was definitely a fear of <laughs> putting something out and everybody being like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> well, it's funny because like, I kind of had prosed this to you know Dennis from Refused when I got to talk to him recently before all of this shit happened. But, you know, and a lot has been made of, obviously, you know, you go, Refuse goes away, puts out Shape of Punk to Come, and it becomes just this massive record that in the, when it first came out, people didn't give a shit about, they were like, well, this isn't Fan the Flames of Discontent, so fuck this band, this sucks. And then yeah. it became just monster. And as such, it's like, I, you know, I had asked him, it's like, do you feel like whatever you would have put out, whether it be Freedom or, I mean, shit, you could have even just put out Shape of Punk to Come too. do you feel that people would just not give it a fair shake? Like, because it, it's not what they have spent 20 years coming to, or 10 or 15 at that point, years uh, getting to know and just love. And it was like, I don't think it really mattered what we would have put out because people were going to hate it. And he goes, and I think it's the record that we're on now that people are kind of like, oh, okay, cool. Like, now we can kind of get back into this uh, because that first quote-unquote disappointment is is out of the way. And so I wondered, kind of adversely thinking about this, like, the record's been out a little bit. Have you kind of seen the same? Like, are some people just kind of like, well, you know, it's not this this thing you did in the past, but then, you know, I think the thing people maybe don't realize is like, well, yeah, like, and this is something Dennis said, and I kind of forgot to say it a second ago, but he was saying, like, when Shape of Punk came out for so many people, they were, like, in their young to early to mid-teens. I can't make mm-hmm. you go back to that age when you didn't have bills and all this kind of other shit. Like, you're not the same person you were when you, that record came out at that time. And so sometimes yeah. I think we as fans kind of forget that, that it's like a whole lifetime is basically past most of us by at this point between your last release. So, yeah, how you felt about The Egg and some of these other records, maybe this new material doesn't make you feel that way because you're not 20. Yeah, I mean, it's it's exactly how I feel. We just... We recorded something recently. Um, I went to Kansas City and we did the record live. Um, I guess I'm announcing that right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's we like videotaped it and you know not videotaped, but uh, we did <laughs> video recorded it. We put it on our VCR and uh, but 
we were gonna mix in like we were gonna we were gonna play the old record and then play some some old I and mean, play the new record and then play some older songs and then when we started to do the the older songs we're like I don't really feel like doing this right now <laughs> <laughs> just because we were so like psyched about I mean and I'm not saying we won't play the old songs someday when we get to tour again but it's so much more exciting to play the new stuff and like a challenge and you don't my mind isn't wandering because I can't because I have to think about what the fuck we're doing right. Whereas like a lot of the old stuff, and it's weird because playing the old stuff will also maybe sometimes even get you in your old mindset. I don't know. It's really strange. And everybody's, I mean, yeah, it's been 20 years and a couple of things have happened in that time for everyone. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, we're not as, it's different because it's, we're not like trying to make it our living. Right. Which is, there's like no pressure. You know, we put out the record ourselves. We had friends of ours do the promo and a friend of ours do the video and it's just like fuck it let's just have fun and you know enjoy this while we can because who knows how long we're even going to be able to do this for i guess something that's maybe kind of a, a weird question and i don't recall if i had asked you this previously so if, i mean whatever i'm sure you don't remember that interview either so <laughs> fuck it um you know, so I was talking. I remember us talking. Yeah, I was talking with uh, Chris uh, Hall from Stabbing Westward recently, and I was kind of asking him about you know being in the unique position to be a part of something that was kind of like your everything, and then for various reasons, you know, the band calling it a day, but then having the opportunity to come back to it or have it come back to you, however you want to put that, and wondering what does Shiner mean to you now versus what it meant initially. Like, how does it fit into your life now? What does it mean to you now? Is is the is what it means different to you now? Um, I think it means. I mean, it is. This is. I can't. I don't know if I'm gonna be, be able to explain this correctly. It means more to me now, emotion. I guess emotionally okay. than it did before. Whereas, like, we were just trying to be successful and get signed or get a big tour and all that stuff. And now, like I said, it's we just do this because we want to. You know. Yeah, it's just a odd thing to think about like how you know as we're kind of saying like how life kind of how much life has gone by and just thinking yeah. about you know you know there might be bands that mean a lot to me now but they mean something in a completely different manner because as i've grown maybe the lyrics or the music or whatever or the experiences of listening to those those bands has changed and because i've changed yeah. and so it's kind of interesting thinking about that when you have something that has a bit of a legacy like a band that's been around for 20 some odd years even if they've not been active the whole time so i would have feel like the same would apply to you as the person making the art because mate like you were saying when you were like oh you know relearning some of the old stuff because it kind of puts you in that same mindset that it would be kind of interesting to maybe play a song or as you're listening to something maybe in formulating a, a potential set list where listening to that song might take you back to something that you were thinking or how you felt 20 25 years ago and you're like oh fuck yeah. man like that that doesn't mean anything to me now but i remember what sparked this idea what sparked this song and just kind of thinking about how far you've come since then the thing that stuck out the most to me was like the the, the remembering the recording of the egg while we were recording and mixing the new record that that was a pretty dark time for us there was a lot of infighting in the band and uh my dad had just died and gherkin's mother had just died and it was pretty you know things were pretty intense and not everyone was super happy and it's it's really easy for me when i not when i'm playing it so much but like when i'm listening to it or doing something similar with the same group of people it's sometimes easy for me to just go right back to it mentally um I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like, you know, when you walk into a room or something and there's like a weird smell that like from like I walk into a random basement or something and it smells like my grandparents' basement or something. And it's like the weirdest sense memory that happens. I don't know. It almost happens like that with like my my soul or something <laughs> <laughs> with these dudes doing this thing. You know, it's really easy for me to just almost mentally teleport back there. How easy was it? I mean, obviously, it's a little. It's got to be a little bit easier getting some live shows under your collective belts again and kind of getting more of a live feel for each other. But going more into the recording process for this record, how how did you find that to to go uh, writing with people that you haven't necessarily written with in so long? It was easy. That was like nothing, like a no brainer. Um, well, and we'd also like Alan and I did a ton of demos, and you know, we'd send them on to see if anybody objected. <laughs> whatever it was. So we kind of had an idea of where the songs were going before we even got into a room together. 
um, for the most part, except for one song on the record, which we had never actually played to get live together until like we'd never played in a room together until recently. Um, but when, when we were recording all that, it was just, I don't know. It's also easier because it's, it was always easy for us to do it beyond like the fighting and, but it was most people weren't fighting to fight. They were fighting for their part or their idea or to have a say or, you know, and now it's not really like that in the sense of everyone was just much more focused, I think, because we had a lot less time together to do what we had to do. Um, I don't even know if I'm answering your question. <laughs> no, I mean, I think you are. And, you know, the thing I think sometimes when some of these reunions and so forth happen is it's easy to get in a room and, and jam on the songs that you've already know how they go. You know the parts, you know how they go. Yeah. And they're going to work with fans and so forth. But it's when you get in that room and you're like, okay, now let's create something new for whatever the new thing is going to be. Sometimes I yeah. feel like people, like maybe... And this is like a weird thing that I can think of, but it's like you might have been more into a certain style of writing when you were back then. And now you might be like, yep. you know, I'm more into playing lead and kind of doing these things. And, you know, th these are new tricks that I've learned over the last 20 some odd years. So I could see how that might create new wrinkles where, oh, this isn't the same dynamic it was 20 years ago. And we all used to get in a room and jam. And, you know, this was kind of everyone had their their place and they kind of knew where they fit in. And maybe that dynamic has changed a little bit. Honestly, it really didn't. Um, I mean, in the set, beyond trying to go for some new sounds or ideas, I think, because, you know, at the time, um, those dudes were already like, shit, how old was I? <laughs> I don't think I was, <laughs> I mean, but we were all like adult. It wasn't like we were like a teen band or anything, you know, like everybody was pretty established in what they had done and their style and what they do. And if anything, I'm probably the one who's always, who's more always on the hunt for more sounds and new a new way to do this or that um but what you know us getting into the room and doing what we do was super easy and and really quick and pretty painless actually um everybody was really supportive of any of the ideas that were brought in like even the ones that we get that got canned we actually you know we gave it a shot and if anything i'm the worst about that i'm, I'm definitely the worst uh person to maybe gauge how I feel about an idea because I don't really like to just jump in and try to play something. I like to listen to it to try to like as much as I can to try to get an idea of what I think it needs or doesn't need. So I, I <laughs> if any, basically I'm the biggest pain in the ass. In the world, I, <laughs> I guess the more things change, they stay the same, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> I, I think anybody who uh, has played the band with me could probably attest to that, yes. So a little bit, you kind of touched on uh, the fact that you're you know, always into looking for different sounds and so forth. Uh, obviously, anyone who follows you knows that you're pretty much a gear nerd and constantly in search of I don't know what. Uh... <laughs> I don't know either, actually. That's the thing. <laughs> so, you know, wondering how you enjoyed being able to play with kind of some of the new toys that are available now versus the last time you recorded. And was there kind of a concerted effort to try to find a happy medium between between kind of maybe the vintage sound of the band, but kind of bring it into, you know, modern times. No, that wasn't a concern at all. Um, <clears throat> it's like when Alan plays guitar, he doesn't, I mean, he, he uses a lot more effects now than he did then. But when he plays guitar, it instantly sounds like him, no matter what amp he's playing, no matter what guitar he's playing, there's something in his hands where I can just tell it's him immediately. And I think a lot of people will assume that he used his tried and true uh, gear on this new record and he didn't at all actually he used nothing that he's ever recorded with before or anything probably people have seen him play shows with he would just he just brought some random shit and was like i'm gonna use this and we we're all like oh okay cool <laughs> <laughs> and then it just ended up sounding like him anyway um i am definitely using more effects than i did originally still sort of the same ones but you know Things have changed with with DSP, you know, since <laughs> since fucking 2000 or whenever we recorded the last record. Um, but I'm not, I definitely am not beholden to what I did on earlier records. I mean, I try to replicate it live as much as I can, but with with doing new stuff, I want to go out there and see what's what's going on, you know. <laughs> I would. Just, I'm pretty sure I already know the answer to this, but just because it's fun to ask sometimes. Are you one that enjoys having like a Kemper or something like that, a, a amp profiler, so you don't have to carry around a ton of shit? Or do you like being able to change something in the moment with like more analog things? Well, I 
I've, I've had two fractals, sold them both. Um, I feel like I just spend enough time on the computer <laughs> that I don't I fucking like when I work for someone, like when I went back and teched for, for Joe Troman, his tech in between my own working for them had switched Joe over to, to Axe Effects, to Fractals. And, you know, they still sounded great and they work great and they're super reliable. And it's awesome if you're replicate, if you're trying to replicate the same thing every night and have it sound exactly the same because you're on ears and all that stuff. I think it's fucking awesome. Um, the more I dicked around with it at home, I just found it like incredibly fucking boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, it sounds cool. You know, I, I did, I did some teching for Jimmy world and they have them too. And their sounds are great and it works really well for what they do. I mean, I'm, I would assume those guys probably use like pedals and stuff when they're recording and just yeah. try to, you know, get a reasonable facsimile of it for live. But I, um, I don't know. I'm so fickle. Like we just, I just sold my whole amp rig and got a new one just cause it was like, we did, did that live recording thing. And I was like, Huh, this didn't really sound good today. So I just fucking <laughs> sold it all. <laughs> and I got new stuff. You and Ken Susie are like the two people that like I'm always jealous because it seems like every other day you're buying something new. But then it's like, like I know the other day he was looking for an old pedal that was like at least fucking i think 15 years old and it, mm. and it's like one of those where it's like i feel like that would be the problem like i i get lost sometimes where i'm like oh it'd be cool to have like all these pedals and all these effects and do all this shit but then i just keep coming back to like but if you can't make like just your guitar through your cab and your your head sound good then like what the fuck like <laughs> yeah then you there's something wrong with the shit that you're using or you just can't play very well yes i mean for me it's both <laughs> but it's <laughs> it's still i mean just... i don't think i'm exactly ingve malmstein but yeah. for me like the perfect distorted guitar sound is like the never mind the bollocks sex pistols guitar sound like it's fucking it's not like a heavy metal sound it's just, just a distorted loud obnoxious sounding guitar and it sounds fucking awesome to me so if your amp can do that you know if your gear can do that and then you can put weird shit on top of it <laughs> i think that's great <laughs> Now you've got me trying to figure, because, like, I've at least gotten to the point where, like, I can kind of tell what's what. Like, okay, that's a Telly, that's a that's a Les Paul, that's a, you know, this, that, or the other. And, and to some degree, some of the pickup tones and so forth and all that. And as you're kind of saying that, I'm like, all right, was that, like, what, a Marshall? And I almost was going to say a JC, uh, yeah, an 800, or no? Not no, it's before that, for the, for the Sex Pistols? Yeah. Uh, it was a Les Paul, from what I've read, it was a Les Paul and a Fender Twin. Okay. Which is fucking crazy <laughs> yeah because there's it's just things like that sometimes like where you're trying to like figure out what makes the sound and how to do it but then like you said earlier with alan it's like it doesn't fucking matter because like you know i've heard that story ted nugent tells all the time where they took out van halen and eddie let him play the Frankenstein, the uh, frankenstein and he played the Yardbird or whatever and both yep. still sounded like each other playing the other person's rig and it's like all right so I, yeah i mean I've, I've had that happen where I had to borrow a friend's rig, like, I don't know what happened, but, like, his band played, and then, you know, whatever I was doing at the time played, and with him, it sounded beautiful, gnarliest guitar sound. When I played it, it was fucking hot trash. It was just <laughs> so bad, and I was like, oh, I guess, uh, I guess I'm hiding behind some stuff, <laughs> and it wasn't even, like, pedals or anything. It was just, like, his hands into that, the way, because I didn't change any of the setup or anything, you know. Right. And I just tried to play through it, and it was just, like, fucking so bad. It was really funny. Um, but I also think it totally got in my head, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of going a little bit back to you, the, the new record. I'm going to completely contradict myself and say the opposite thing about myself. <laughs> what we're, just um, we're our own worst critics. Um <laughs> You know, something I've kind of been harping on this podcast, you know, being not as old as you, but uh, being older now, you know, is <laughs> the fact that I remember when records came out, you got one single um, and maybe a B-side that didn't even end up on the record at times if you bought yeah. the single. But now it seems like, you know, we're in this age where you're getting a four month, five month rollout of a record and you're getting five, six songs 
before the record's even out. And it's like, I understand because audiences attention spans are very fickle. So you want to kind of keep like, yes, we got this thing out. Hey, new songs dropping, new video, get those pre-orders. Like it's all about the pre-order, the pre-save, the pre-whatever. And and in some instances, you know, and actually I just saw Ticketmaster is apparently going to stop doing this, but you know, bundling the record with album or with the uh, live ticket and so forth to kind of pad your, your album first week sales and so forth. And Uh it's, uh, it was kind of interesting to see you guys only from what I can remember, you only put out like two songs. And I think the second one came out like a week or so before the record came out. So it was, yeah, it wasn't that long before it was a relatively short rollout for it. Was that something you kind of were deliberately doing or just kind of happenstance? Um, it sort of just ended up being that way. Um, I kind of didn't want to release. I felt weird about releasing songs without any other content, mm. which is strange to say now, you know, because back in my day, the fucking song was content enough. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, because I knew the video wasn't really going to be ready yet for Life as a Mannequin. And when we released Life as a Mannequin, uh, a lot of people were like, this just sounds like Life and Time. Not a lot of people, but the people that I remember were like, this just sounds like life and times. Like what's, what's even the difference? So I was kind of like, shit, now we got to release one of the rockers. God damn it. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. And it's not like I've been chewing the whole process of, of how things are done now, but it also turns out that, I mean, you know, as I said, we, we did everything ourselves and I'm not really a record label. I don't exactly know how to do this. Like I know how to do the layout and I can send it off to, you know, to get impressed, which was two months late. And, uh, I mean, because of COVID, you know, right. nobody's fault. But, right. um, but I, I don't know. I almost feel like we don't even have to do that because our fans, for the most part, are a little bit younger than, than the band. But when I look at the demographics on, you know, whatever streaming services. Um, but I don't, know if, I don't know if they expect records to be released like that so much. You know, I think when you look at like how Hum did it, they didn't do shit. They just put out their record. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, as someone who is friends with those guys, even I was like, huh. No shit. Okay. <laughs> I knew it was done, but I didn't know it was going to come out like next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's just been weird to see like the shift of of how I don't want to say people digest or intake their music but it i don't know i just it's it's just so weird like i i and like i said i understand why why the long rollouts why you're why people are giving basically half a record away for free before you even get it but i often just feel like you know sort of like you were saying where it's like to me it's like you get one song and hope that you pick the really good one to get everyone to be like, yeah. oh shit, okay, like I'm stoked for this. And then you don't give them anything else because then there's that sense of like, you know, excitement and and wonder when you're cracking open, showing my age, cracking open the CD or if you're buying the vinyl and taking it all in mm-hmm. as the first experience of listening to it all together, not like here's a single and here's a song from the end of the record that the two songs you're now hearing as, as the quote unquote singles for this record aren't going to make a whole lot of sense in conjunction to the vibe that we created when we painstakingly made this track listing for the record. And it's, it's things like that that I feel like are just lost uh, now where it's a, it's a full immersive experience that you're supposed to kind of go along on the journey that someone kind of curated for you. And I don't feel like that Mm -hmm. exists anymore. And I feel like we're kind of cheapening the overall experience of listening to music because we're just so so quick to have someone be like, got it. It's I got it. Now I got it. Now the next thing what's next. Well, I think so. But part of that, I think, is we're, I mean, we both, I think we can both say pretty confidently that we're not casual music fans. No. <laughs> so <laughs> I think the experience for us is kind of different than a lot of people, you know, who, because you, you, you see on the internet, like, what? So and so is still together? Shit, I didn't even know. Whereas, yeah. like, the bands that I love, I'm fucking gobbling up any information I can about them. What's, what the fuck's going on? Like, when can we maybe expect something new? You know, that's, I mean, that's how I am personally. And I feel like with Shiner being such a band band, I feel like a lot of our fans are kind of like that. If if they're not musicians, they probably wish they were, you know? <laughs> and, I don't, and I'm not saying that in like a condescending way, like, because I think everyone, if they want to play, they should, all you have to do is do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think... I think the experience is lost on some people, but I don't even think that they know that it's lost on them. Yeah, I don't know. 
I I was talking to someone the other day and they were just like, I don't know, I don't really listen to music. And I was like, hey, what do you mean you don't listen to music? And they're yeah, like, that blows my mind. And they're like, well, I mean, like, you know, I like I, it. It's even trying to like rearticulate as best I can what they were saying to me. It just was like, they're like, I don't know. It just doesn't like there's some songs and I like them and I like some bands. But like as a whole, like I would never have any interest to go see a band live. I have no interest in, you know, buying an album or, or things like that. And it's just like, how, how, how do you exist? <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. But I, I mean, but that person might love fucking gardening or whatever, which is something I could give a shit less about, you know? <laughs> yes, that's true. I guess it's, I mean, I, I like vegetables are cool and all that, but like, I like some vegetables, but I wouldn't go see them. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's your blabbermouth headline. I like some vegetables, but yeah. I wouldn't go see them. <laughs> Yep. I mean, I'm sure there's other things that they're probably, hopefully, you know, that they care about. This is one of the reasons they get up every day, hopefully. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it baffles me sometimes when people say things, well, given the world we live in, a lot of things baffle me that people say, but, um, yeah, that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, kind of switching up gears a little bit, you know, kind of your, your teching jobs have, since the last time we talked, like, you know, it was kind of the, the, I think the way a lot of people get into teching where, you know, you're working with your friends and then you're going out with your friends bands. Granted, not everyone's friend is in a really big arena sized band, but, uh, it is one of those where, you know, it saw you with Fall Out Boy for quite a while. And then as you were saying earlier, you know, like working with Jimmy Eat World and, uh, God, I think you were even working with like a country person for a little bit there, if I remember correctly. Oh yeah, I did a I did a little bit with uh Dwight a little some Dwight Yoakam shows there for a minute, yeah. And I was gonna say, and then uh you did who was it? Uh God, I just I've been seeing so much Lady Antebellum bullshit that like that's the only name popping uh, in my head. But it was uh Kings, Kings Leon. Kings of Leon? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and you know, how did you find it to work with such a wide array of musicians, given the fact that, you know, as we kinda touched on earlier, you're kind of a have a penchant for, for gear and getting to see how many, getting to see the inner workings of some of these wide array of bands. Um, I love it. I mean, <laughs> I, uh, it's, it doesn't feel like work to me, honestly. I mean, the, the traveling feels like work, you know, the being away from home for so long, which, well, that doesn't happen anymore. But um, I don't know. It's, it's it, like I said, it just doesn't feel like work to me. It's, I love doing it. And like 99% of everybody that I've worked for has been fucking awesome. And, uh, it's just cool. I don't know. I mean, I, this is something I also like when we do festivals and stuff, I just walk up and check out whoever's stuff, you know, (laughs) the other day, the the other day, last year we were in Mexico doing a festival and, uh, Carlos Santana was playing before us. And I was just like, I just walked over and I was checking out his rig. And you know, that thing that people do sometimes when like they'll tap you on the shoulder, but they're standing on the other side. So that make you look the wrong way. Yes. Carlos Santana did that to me while I was looking at his stuff. And did you turn around and go smooth? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, hey. And he's like, hey, what do you think? And I was like, he was super, super, super insanely nice. Um, but just getting to do, I don't know, I love it. It's it's awesome. And work in, I was going to say, I'm working for bands that have money that will just be like, what do you think of this? And I'm like, yeah, that, I've tried that. It's pretty good. And they're like, all right, we'll get three of them. You know, that's, that's always fun. Yeah, it, uh, one of the, like, weird things, you know, because I find a lot of that really interesting, and, like, even, uh, a friend of mine, Josh, uh, who is, like, the tech production manager for Killswitch, I've always joked, I'm like, dude, I just kind of, like, when you're in town, I want to, like, take the day off work and come follow you and see what your day looks like, because I just, <laughs> I find it so interesting, like, that it's, like, it's the thing that no one really ever thinks about is the things that... You know, there's the hour that you're watching the band you came to see or the four or five hours collectively for the whole show. But like there's so much background stuff happening to make sure that that show happens that I don't think a lot of people either a give a shit about or b care about. But it's uh, (laughs) just wildly fascinating to me to see, you know, all of that stuff work. And like one of my favorite experiences, and I've I've talked about it quite a bit on this on this podcast, is uh, going to Warp Tour the second to last year and having a friend of mine. Uh, who had uh, that was teching or uh, tour managing for CKY and basically getting like a no escort needed pass. So it's like we were able to kind of go up onto some of the the backstage uh, 
parts of the stage and stand on stage to watch and seeing that crew tear down a normal size like amphitheater stage split in half so basically you have one band going and the other band sound checking loading all that kind of stuff but to see how tight it was in a 30 minute or 25 minute set, uh, uh, set time was just mind-blowing to see how they could tear down a set put it on the truck or waiting on the truck for it and then basically yep. set up the next one and it was the warp tour crew the the touring cruise crew and so forth and and then like there's a whole show happening right next to it as it's going on and then as soon as that band's done boom this band's ready to go and and maybe other than some very minor mistakes or some glitches or whatever it's going off without a hitch and it's going on all day that was insane to see just how a much of a machine it was and the level of like proficiency that everyone had to have to work together to get that to fucking happen with no no issue yeah it's pretty i mean warp tour in particular is logistically it's got to be a fucking nightmare oh my god for whoever is doing all the stuff and even just getting the stage times and this and that to get i don't know it was it's a lot of tech people even though i never actually teched on warp tour i just ended up playing but um it was definitely warp tour is just completely insane yeah <laughs> it was a great uh learning experience for just having your shit together really and especially like with etid we didn't have techs and ron vashes didn't have any techs um so you know you you just had to throw be, and go yeah and be aware of like what time it was where you had to be you know all this shit it was it's a pretty good boot camp i think and i you know i know a lot of techs now who started there right <laughs> i probably won't admit it but uh but it's like I think it's like, you know, like older rock dudes love to fucking burn it and make fun of it. But it's got some, you know, I know some really good techs that have come out of Warped Tour and are, you know, becoming some of the top tier dudes as, as far as techs go, which I think is awesome. And there's even people that didn't expect to be there, didn't expect to still be teching, you know, it's, it's funny to me. Well, I think what was kind of weird about even Warp Tour for me and, and a lot of like... <sighs> I guess to a degree, a show like Warp Roadies and, but I was going to say more to the fact of like a lot of these band DVDs that were coming out at the time is you got to feel a sense of like, you knew the whole crew. It wasn't just like the guys in the band that you were into. It was, you know, and yeah. I think, I think Eats is a great example. <laughs> like I remember going to LA a couple years ago to see 18 visions when they were uh, playing the Roxy. And I didn't, I didn't know this, but Zach was running sound for him. And I was like, holy shit, it's Zach Cannon. And I was like, to the average person, someone would be like, who the fuck is that? And I'd be like, I mean, he's nobody really, but like, I don't know. He's a pretty good sound dude and I like him and he's funny. So, well, he came from him initially. That's, that's where I met him. Right. When I first met him. And then he he went on to like do shit for the used and stuff like that. But it's like even following him to a degree where it's like, you see someone who started off just kind of doing something with friends and then everybody kind of being like, well, that guy was kind of cool, and that band's going home. Hey, do you want to come out and run sound for us? Sure. And then it's like, now you see, like, yep. at times seeing him doing stuff for, like, the used, and you're like, holy shit, I can't believe the same dude who, like, dresses up and making fun of, you know, fucking Doug Spangenberg and shit. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now you're running sound for, like, a, you know, decent, like, theater-sized band and so forth. Like, it just, it kind of shows that, like, it becomes a family, and those who want to put in the work and so forth can actually have a... a decent career at it behind the scenes yep it's really you know like i said about playing music it's just you just have to want to do it and actually just go for it you know i uh i know this might be a really (laughs) stupid question but in light of the situation where you found yourself in uh when you were teching for fallout boy where you had to fill in for some gigs and having seen that pop up a lot more recently where due to family emergencies and so forth like you'll see some of the techs and so forth kind of fill in for the set if if they can you know know the set that is yeah are you more inclined to learn some of the songs that in the set that you might have just in case maybe you need to come in and fill in it depends on the band okay um there have been bands that i definitely um have you know i learn some of the parts here and there but it also depends kind of if i have a left-handed guitar with me or not um but i haven't done that in a while it's definitely a good idea for any tech to do that, though, I think. Yeah, I know, like, Josh from Killswitch has filled in for Joel a couple of times over the years. Yeah. So it's, like, one of those where it just kind of seems like, yeah, you probably know the songs, and after so long, if you are a musician yourself, you probably can figure it out, so. it's It was really funny to, like, the first time with Fall Out Boy, and I didn't fill in, um, I honestly think they just forgot to even 
think that I could do it. Uh, <laughs> actually, that's what that's what I was told later on. I was like, oh, why don't you say anything? And I was like, oh, because I'm going to offer up that I'm the guy. Okay. Um, when they had Ryland uh, from Cobra Starship, so, yeah. Um, yeah. It was it was super weird because a he's two feet taller than everybody else in the band, <laughs> and he didn't really like know the show. Like he played the songs fine. He he plays drastically different than Joe. Um, so that was it was kind of weird, you know, an interesting little South American tour that we did. And then every other time I did it, it was so funny because I had seen the show so many times. Like I'm not saying they do the same thing every night, but for certain songs, they'll have certain places on the stage that they go and do this and that and like. I knew all that shit, which was pretty funny because I was like, I was almost his understudy in a play, sort of, <laughs> you know, like, I knew all the, it's, I mean, it's definitely, it's not choreography, but like, in that dance, dance song, I know, like, Pete will come over and like, hit the strings on his headstock to make like the jing sound, you know, and like, there I was ready for it because I know he's coming, you know, I've seen him do it 400 times already. <laughs> so it was just kind of funny how like, that was sort of effortless in the sense of, I mean, it was, I'm sure it was still weird for everybody. It was certainly fucking weird for me. Um, and a letdown for the fans, but it's like, <laughs> either you get no fallout boy show or you get three fourths of a fallout boy show. <laughs> yeah. With a grumpy old I man just, playing I, a left-handed guitar staring at you. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't mad dogging as much as I would in my <laughs> other bands. I definitely tried to lighten it up a little bit, but I was also trying to not screw up because we didn't really, I don't think we ever rehearsed. Yeah. I think last time you talked, you, you said you just kind of, it was trial by fire, really like live <laughs> in, yeah. in the moment. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was weird because I think that American Psycho record had just come out yep. and there were songs that I was playing at, in the UK that had never been played out live. <laughs> it was really strange. Well, yeah, because you did that oh, BBC that radio thing. The, oh, God. And they didn't tell me we were doing Uptown Funk until the night before. <laughs> and I was like, what? Oh, okay. All right. I guess I will never leave my hotel room and try to, uh, okay, <laughs> try to learn all this stuff. <laughs> but I, I was going to say, but I, yeah, I, most techs definitely should uh, learn I would think learn at least, at the very least, learn the guy that you're covering for. Right. Yeah, I didn't even, for some reason, even though it's obviously a big thing for you, I didn't even think the fact that there wouldn't be a left-handed guitar for you potentially on the road, so. Yeah. Well, it came up with a band I was working with. They were like, hey, can you come over and just play this acoustic part here, like the outro? And I was like, actually, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Funny story, no. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, I probably could have, but... You know, kind of in, in wrapping up, obviously you kind of have talked about one of the things you've done in the quote-unquote downtime you have. Uh, you know, I know it seems like you're someone who constantly is kind of writing and just working on things, whatever those may happen to be. Is there, is there, and I'll just use this as the one example, is there like maybe some new SML, SLM stuff you're working on or even like with Knives stuff now that Joe's maybe not as busy? Well, um, there's been discussion about both of those, but no real... Uh movement forward on that i think um with the with knife stuff if we were to do it again we would probably get together and if the ideas are good we'll do it and if the ideas aren't great or we're not really gelling playing together we just probably won't <laughs> i mean it was like super fun and uh slm there's shit there's probably 40 ideas on dropbox that i can't get anyone to listen to so uh <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe I'll just start another band that's just myself. I don't know. Well, that's the weird thing, though, for me, and that's kind of why I was asking, because, like, With Knives was you. It started off as your thing, and then I remember a Damn Thanks tour. Uh, I don't even remember how you or I or Joe were talking about it, but then it was, like, a thing where it was, like, Joe's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're doing something, blah, 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 and I just kind of shot you a look, and I was like, what do you mean, we? And I was like, it's Josh's thing. <laughs> and... You know, it seems like everything that starts off is like your, I don't want to call it a self-indulgent project, but something that starts yeah, off yeah. As, as you turns into this this band where it's more people involved. And then that almost seems to be what spurns the next quote unquote solo thing of yours until you find other people to, to partake in that project. So that's kind of why I was like, oh, like, what are you immersing yourself in now? Um, I've actually been trying to do some scoring for things like uh, sort of akin to like what you did again with joe with uh the keith's book yeah or... totally okay um i'd like to do some some any kind of visual stuff it seemed like it was going to happen with this documentary about um this serial killer from where i'm from uh this guy named his name was the high they don't know who it was still but this guy the highway murderer in massachusetts in the uh, late 80s 
mid eighties maybe. Um, but I found on Facebook, I found a group and there was a guy that's supposedly making a documentary documentary about it. And we were going back and forth for a bit. And then it just kind of stopped, which is a bummer because, you know, I also, I remember, you know, I was, I was a kid then. And I remember everyone being terrified about this serial killer in the, in the area, which so it, it touches on many of my interests, but, uh, <laughs> I, I thought that would have been really fun and interesting, and I didn't even care about money. I just wanted to do it. Um, yeah, but that's, that's kind of where I want to go. I think it's kind of funny because like, I had almost wondered with Joe's cartoon, which I'm blanking on the name of now, um, I almost thought maybe you were going to be a little bit more involved with scoring or, or kind of writing, you know, accompanying music for that even. That had been discussed when he started doing that stuff originally, but it was I ended up just being too busy with work, really is what that was. Um I'm so psyched for him and everything that he's done on that front. It's really funny, and he's uh, he's very excited about all of his projects on that front. Yeah, I know from uh, one night here in town where you were actually supposed to play uh, after a damn thing show at the Pyramid Scheme. They uh, he was kind of like a lot of this stuff wasn't out uh, at the time, so there was just a lot of him kind of talking at me about <laughs> some of these things, and I was like, oh, that sounds cool, and. Uh, <laughs> That even like kind of divulging that you know it looked like you were going to be uh, doing some stuff uh, with the damn things at the time coming up, but obviously that didn't come to fruition either. So yeah, I uh, again that was another. I was busy on tour with other bands, and I kind of just lost my. Uh, I didn't really have time to make for it. Actually, ultimately, what it goes down to is it weird because turns out there's only so many hours in the day. <laughs> Yeah, dude, that was my whole day at work today. It was basically coming to that realization. Um, Is it kind of weird? Because, like, I know I've seen some of the bands that you've been in. Like, I know From Autumn to Ashes was getting ready to uh, play Furnace Fest. And there was, uh, obviously, the new Etid Records getting ready to come out. And the damn things put out a new record about a year ago. And it is kind of interesting to see how even though you may not have been a part of any of these bands for a very long time, that people are still like, where's Josh? Is Josh going to be in this? What is? That's pretty weird. Yeah, I'm going to say not so much with Etik because obviously everyone like Mitch has been in the band for a while and and you went on to do other things. Yeah. But it is interesting to kind of you know see when people post the photos like oh I saw him back in this era and then it's like you know there's you with a uh, in the photo with them or whatever and people are like oh I miss Josh and things like that and it's it's just kind of interesting. I mean to it's see. always super flattering, you know. Meanwhile, I just get the time hop photo of uh, you guys hanging out with Will Smith and <laughs> his kids, and it keeps popping <laughs> yeah. up where it's just like, and I go, how the fuck did this happen? Every time I see it, and I know that's exactly what I wrote in the thing where I tagged you, I was like, how did this happen? Like, every time I look at it, I just go, what's happening in this? Did I tell you the story? I don't recall. I don't recall wh- I how that, that happened. I'm, I'm, I'm 99% sure. I don't think we were, like, rehearsing there. I think we uh, were oh, doing the, the situation video, right. the performance footage. And uh, I think Willow Smith had had some kind of performance thing for, like, a record executive in one of the different rehearsal rooms at SIR. Mm. I'm pretty, I think that's what happened. Fair enough. Wasn't a Wicked Wisdom uh, reunion tour rehearsal? No. I mean, I'm, who knows? maybe Scott Ian will play in that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm actually kind of surprised you haven't ended up in any of his happy hour stuff that he's been doing. Um, yeah, I haven't seen him in years. So, you know, obviously touring has come to a halt. Uh, I got the whole reason we're doing this now is because I got the notification that the show in, I think it was November, uh, here in town got canceled officially. So obviously yep. I think that was the only tour you were going to do all of this year. And, um, <laughs> what, uh, what are you guys uh, going to do to kind of keep promoting this record uh, during this time? Because obviously... I mean, that's a great question. Uh, I think there's talk of us playing a couple open-air shows um, in Kansas City at some point. Hmm. Uh, we'll do another video, and there's that live thing I was talking about. But I'm not sure when that's going to be done or any of that stuff. Um I don't know. It's weird because even though the record came out two mo- only two months ago, I feel like it's a fucking eternity at this point. But that'll mm-hmm. happen when all you do is sit at home and play Call of Duty. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm almost I'm almost to the point where I think we should just fucking make another one. You know? Wow. Potentially two Shiner records in less than <laughs> two decades. In less than nineteen years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I say that, but would that actually be something that you would? 
like to do in the day and age where you guys don't need to to do a normal release tour release tour kind of schedule where maybe you just crank out a two song three song ep for like whenever it kind of just feels right to put out music like do you kind of envision that being more the model the band kind of adopts going forward yeah i think this i mean this was going to be an ep until two of the songs ended up being seven plus minutes you know <laughs> six plus minutes um and then it was just like we looked at a bunch of records we were like when they were like well that record was shorter and it's only got eight songs and it's a record so i guess it's a record so we just wrote another couple things and yeah we it came to be a record because Alan was pushing for just an EP for a long time. And I was basically like, we need to shit or get off the pot. We need to make a record. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's basically, you know, it's half my fault that it became a record. <laughs> well, I think it's a good, uh, good fault to uh, own up to. It's a, it's a really good yeah, record. I'm, I'm okay. And uh, lastly, where can everyone find you or whatever band you would like to plug? Uh, I guess most of my stuff uh, via Instagram uh, at Jay Newton, and I guess I can't—I pimp all my crap there. Uh, I only use Twitter for yelling at Trump, so that's pretty much that. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I kind of almost wish it was in person, and, and that you guys were still going to be playing in a few months. But uh, uh, me too. It was good uh, catching up. I. I've actually been getting a few people that have been some of my first guests and being like, holy shit, it's been three years and like 200 plus episodes now. Like, wow, I can't believe you talked to me back then when I had no credibility. And I probably really don't still, but <laughs> <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> uh, but it was uh, it was kind of cool. Look, thinking back to uh, doing this last time and uh, almost serendipitous that you had another doctor's appointment that made us postpone it another day. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty ridiculous because it's not something uh we often do so no was, yeah <laughs> well enjoy the rest of your evening uh, enjoy call of duty and uh i'm sure we'll probably chat or something at some point oh we will so that was my conversation with josh newton of shiner um you know it's kind of funny uh and i think i even mentioned this in the interview but uh you know the first time that josh and i did the podcast together uh we had to reschedule it by a day because he had a broken tooth uh last minute and had to go get it fixed conveniently enough inconveniently i don't know uh i also uh broke my tooth the day before we did this and uh i just feel like it was really <laughs> it was really serendipitous um and then basically, you know, to kind of add to it, uh, the day before doing this interview, uh, Josh had to take his girlfriend to the hospital and was uh, just one of those things where apparently when Josh and I get together, uh, if we're going to do a podcast, uh, something happens and we have to go to a doctor. So uh, I think next time if I'm going to have him on the show, maybe I need to, uh, you know, go get a physical or something and make sure that nothing happens to us. Um the other thing that's really interesting about Josh, uh, you know, is just kind of the, the worlds he exists in now, you know, because Shiner is what they are, you know, obviously him doing and being kind of a hired gun of sorts uh, for a little while uh, between all the, the metal and hardcore bands he's been known for. And then somehow segues into with within the tech world, you know, checking for bands like Kings of Leon and, and Jimmy World and, and some of these other bands. And you're just kind of like, it's interesting to see how it's all interconnected, even if it doesn't seem like it on the on the surface level, like you wouldn't think someone a from shiner or you know from every time i die would somehow exist or, or be in the realm of a, of a kings of leon um but i think that kind of even speaks to what we do sometimes you know you wouldn't expect some of the people we've had on this show and we have them and let me just tell you we have a couple more curveballs we're gonna throw at you uh coming up in the next couple episodes so uh yeah um just, i don't know kind of interesting thought yeah totally and like the, the like I think a lot of people don't really understand how far down the rabbit go rabbit hole goes with some of this stuff. Like all of these bands that we're a fan of, like they know each other and they hang out. And not only do they hang out, but they tech for each other. They 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 sell merch for each other. They they it's it's kind of a packaged thing, and it's a community. And I think that's something that's kind of like glossed over by a lot of people. And, you know, an interview like this is, I think, helpful in kind of showing that, like, yeah, maybe I wasn't recording a record this year, but I was still, like, super active as a musician. I thought it was really interesting to, to basically learn some of the inner workings of the band as far as how they are when they record. Um, you know, and, and I, I guess it is just me. I, I don't have a 20-year career. I don't have, <laughs> you know, a lot of the things that Josh and Shiner has going for it. Um, but, you know, I just assumed that basically the band wouldn't be the same as they were. And I'm not saying they are 100%, but, 
you know, like I said, I figured maybe it, it would have been a little bit harder to, to just instantly gel with everybody. I mean, as people, we change so much, you know, from year to year and even decade to decade that it, it's just interesting to find out that when you got when they got into a room that basically it felt like no time had passed. And I guess that's kind of the, the amazing thing of the camaraderie of being in a band is that, you know, you can be gone for so long and, and it feels like no time has passed because there's just that connection and that instant bond that you all have from spending all those years playing together. But I did kind of feel like maybe with that much time going by, you know, and Josh kind of having done and played in a lot of different bands that maybe it would just change how he approached writing uh, for the band or something. But I, I guess that's not entirely the case as you heard. Um, but it's also kind of interesting sometimes, you know, we, we there are instances, and I, I can't think of one off the top of my head now, but where, you know, bands come back after a while and still don't sound like they did. Um, I don't know. I, I just kind of, as a concept, I think that's kind of interesting to think about. I mean, maybe it's just me. Yeah, I mean, I think that I hate keep, I hate to keep bringing up the Hum record, but it's it's... Yeah, I mean, it just came out of nowhere. And honestly, before hearing this interview, I kind of felt the same way about Shiner because I just kind of figured that this was a band that I liked. And, I mean, that's true, but, like, I don't know. I wasn't expecting, like, a new full-length record. And I was surprised that I got that. I know they, they kind of did the singles game, you know, before that. But, like, I don't know. Like, I guess I wasn't paying attention to it because, like, a band that old, I'm not like actively paying attention to. So, whenever I see that there's a new Shiner record out, I'm like, oh my god! Like, what have I been doing for the past three months? <laughs> no, I mean it's that good. Like, I'm serious. Like, I'm not like I'm not chilling. Nobody's like paying me to say stuff like this. But like, if you're not listening to bands like Shiner and you're not listening to bands like Hum or even like Hope's Fall, like you don't know what's going on like with rock music and like spacey stuff that's actually pushing that genre forward because unfortunately when a lot of rock bands get big they stop pushing forward and um that's just not the case with some of your more underground more notable acts like hum and like shiner so um i guess i'm what i'm trying to say is you should listen to the new shiner record and you're gonna love it and if you don't love it then you just don't get it it's always kind of interesting when we do these episodes i I hope that the people who listen to this show that are just listening to this show week in and week out learn about some new bands. And I know Shiner's not a new band. As we've been saying, they are a 20-year-old band that have a history and have a back catalog to go through and, and unearth. Um, but I hope people don't skip this. I hope people actually with some of these, you know, quote-unquote out-of-left-field you know, interviews we made to you, go and check the interviews out. Go and check these bands out. Because that's something I enjoy about some of the podcasts I listen to with people that I don't necessarily know who they are or what they've done because I find something that's interesting about them and it makes me go appreciate what they've done, uh, whether it be actors, musicians, writers, you know, so on and so forth. That's kind of the beauty of this is, is hopefully if we're doing our job correctly, as far as the interviews and so forth, we're selling them to you. And I, I really, I know that sounds really shitty to kind of break it down like that, like, oh, we're selling you this thing, but... I think Shiner's music stands for itself. I think it speaks for itself. I hope you guys are actually going out and checking out the new Shiner record and then going back and listening to the old Shiner records. And if you didn't listen to the episode I did with Josh before, go and check out any of his other bands if you can find them, like Glaze Baby and some of the other stuff he's done. Because it's interesting, and it creates a bigger narrative of what he is and who he is as a musician and as a person. And, and I think that's what's fun about doing these sometimes. Yeah, it's interesting. But, like, I mean, I think that a lot of these bands just don't have the social poll that they used to have because there didn't used to be socials the last time they put a record out I, I mean, that's the only explanation i can come up with but like i can't say this enough that just i mean if you want to listen to rock music that is textured and um has a lot of nuance to it you know you can't go you really can't look further than china i mean these, these guys are kind of masters at that craft and um you know, let the interview be kind of a preview of, like, in my opinion, this is a hot take, so I apologize, but, like, in my opinion, this dude is better in this band than a lot of the bands that he's done work for. I think that's a really interesting 
comment. Uh, and I think it's actually a really great place to leave this interview. Uh, so we're going to start wrapping this episode up. Uh, if you would like to keep up with Josh, it is uh, simple enough. You can find Josh basically on Instagram at Jay Newton and Twitter at Jay Newton. If you would like to keep up with Shiner, you can find them on Facebook at Shiner KC, Instagram at Shiner KC, Twitter, guess what? Shiner KC. And if you would like to keep up with all the other things, buy the new record, buy some merch, you can head over to Shiner.net and do such. Um, I want to thank Josh again for taking the time to do this. Um, like I said, just an easy dude to get along with. Uh, I love following him on the socials, so go ahead and do that. Um, it, it's just... It is one of those things where, for me, I feel like Josh is a perfect representation of sort of what this podcast started out being, where it was about kind of... Well, you're known for this thing, but then you kind of shifted uh, some of your passions and so forth to kind of, you know, stay in the music industry or stay in, into something that you love. And I think Josh has done that over, you know, a 20 plus year career by being in bands and being kind of a, a fill in and a hired gun and then becoming a tech and, and doing all these other things. And it's allowed him to stay in an industry that obviously he, he loves, but it also allows him to, I think, really kind of explore a little bit more of his nerdier side, uh, you know, with his love of gear and so forth. So it makes perfect sense that he obviously has parlayed uh, a career in teching and so forth, um, which I think actually helps him go the other route uh, when he is touring and maybe can't afford a tech or whatever. He could probably fix all of his own shit. So, and as he said, he kind of enjoys doing all that stuff. So I guess it's a win-win. Um, so thanks again to Josh for coming on. Follow the socials. And if you couldn't keep up with what I just said, well, guess what? Everything's in the show notes. Um, I know some people don't seem to know that those are there, but if you are interested, everything's in the show notes, including where Dan can be found. So Dan, where can you be found other than the show notes? <laughs> well, I can be found on DiscussMetal.com, where all my podcasts reside. You can send me an email at DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com. Uh, I stream on Twitch now, uh, two nights a week, uh, Monday nights and Thursday nights at 10.30 p.m. Eastern. No. Dude, I, I don't even know what my own pitch is. I was just talking about this. Uh, but... Uh, <clears throat> I also stream on Twitch now at uh, 10.30 p.m. Central Time. Uh, I tend to play old-school first-person shooters like Quake and Doom and stuff like that. Um, so if you want to come by and say hi, definitely do that. Just search for Discuss Metal Dan on uh, Twitch, and you will find me. And uh, I'll have some YouTube com content coming out uh, here in a couple of weeks. So uh, be sure to check that out. And as always, we'd like to wrap this up by thanking our sponsors for coming on to the show and supporting us. So we're going to support them, take care of them. Uh, if you would like to keep up with The Bean Bastard, go to TheBeanBastard.com, Facebook and Instagram, at The Bean Bastard, get some delicious coffee. Want to congratulate them. They have a brick and mortar. Holy shit. I can't wait to get back to Buffalo and go to their uh, store and basically try and buy all their stuff. Uh, so go to the Bean Bastard, uh, pick up some delicious coffee. And if you're in the Buffalo area, go check out their store. I don't think it's technically open for the public due to the pandemic and all that, but it's there. Go to their socials, find out where it is, go support them. Uh, if you would like to support On Point Palmade, keep your beard and hair look keep your beard and hair looking on point use our code bsp15 and get 15 percent off your total purchase order want to thank those guys for uh, keeping our hair and beards looking really good and uh maddie mullins with all the trigger grill stuff lately holy shit making me want to go buy one and grill every goddamn day fuck need to get that dude back on the podcast <laughs> and lastly but not leastly is rockabilia.com head on over to rockabilia.com use our code brew15 and get 15 percent off your total purchase order as well they have over 500,000 items in their online store, and everything is officially licensed through the bands, so you don't ever have to worry about the things being knockoffs or washing off real quickly like you do with the shit you find on eBay and other places. Um, they're a great company, and just about anybody we've had on this show, you can find their stuff there. So if you're able to, during these uh, COVID times and all that, are able to support and have a little bit of extra money to support our sponsors, is greatly appreciated. Rockability.com. Again, use our code BREW15. On Point Palmade, use our code BSP15, and you get 15% off your total purchase order. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. And we will talk to you all next time. <laughs>